The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. I don't think I'm going to stop doing that, am I? What's that? John Emlin, Robot Lewis. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. True, um, true. It's ridiculous. It's a lot. It's uh, John Emlin, Robot Lewis, Jingleheimer Schmidt. His name is my name, too. Um, it's a lot. I mean, we, you can just say robot. I, 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 I may at that. I may give it a try. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I do kind of tend to like to trade in absurdity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the thing that I would like listeners to understand is that cute nicknames isn't really my thing <laughs> too late it's just that my name is john lewis mm-hmm. which is like it's the name they put on the credit card in the commercial like at the bottom <laughs> which is no name it's a placeholder for a name <laughs> so and if you're trying to be a writer and a man about town as i am uh, you got to come up with something better than John Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Have and for you? a long time. Hmm? Have you? I don't, probably <laughs> not. For a long time, I wrote as Emlyn Lewis. I, when I was writing about soccer uh, right. for, you know, the better part of the decade, Emlyn Lewis was my name. And because Emlyn is a Welsh name, it carried some credibility in some quarters. But most people were like, this woman doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> And I was like, no, no, this dude doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, you know, that didn't, not, I don't care. But, um, yeah, then the robot thing. Ha- anyway, yeah, it's a lot. It's Moving a lot. Right along. But, well, uh, speaking of absurdity, uh, my leg looks like it was painted by Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Yeah. So real swirly and streaky and colorful. Uh, yeah, lots of yellow and green. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did you make that happen? Uh, well, remember uh, in a previous episode, we were talking about how yeah. I did that pile driving move straight into the hard sand or hard yes. dirt. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is so, the consequence. Yeah. You know, it's um, what do they, what do they say? Uh, yeah. Downstream consequence. Yeah. Downstream. Crash art. Crash art. <laughs> <laughs> like when I broke my collarbone, I had like a, I had a bruise that clearly seem to be running down my chest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the drift that, uh, that happens, yeah. Yeah. That would be something Usually, fun to have our listeners talk about, uh, any any bruise drifting that they've had subsequent to an injury. Yeah. Or, you know, like if you have a scab that looks like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> or Jesus. Or Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Any, anybody, or, anybody. Or holy. Nixon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Anyone. Nixon. <laughs> Bozo the Clown. I mean, I'm interested in all the scabs that could look like something. Yeah. Yeah. Like like looking at clouds, laying in the summer grass exactly. and looking at clouds. We want scabs yeah. like that. That's what I'm saying. So if you're out there and you have road rash that looks like a sheep jumping over a fence, share it with us. I mean, I love the idea of a post on the site, which is just a compendium of people's possible bruise and scab art mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. concept pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we also actually need a scab that looks like a cloud. Don't they all? <laughs> clouds? I don't know. You tell I'm, me. <laughs> oh, no, that looks like a snake bite. That one. I mean, it does now. I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. That's I'm not sure that one's good enough for the gallery. 
We need yeah. good ones. Yeah, no, this this would be like, you know, 14th alter, alternate. Yeah. yeah. I've seen your bruise, though. It's a very impressive bruise. I, um, it's something that I do like to take stock of each morning. The best bruise I ever saw was actually upsetting. But <laughs> one of my uncles um, in Wales, who is a farmer, rolled his tractor and in rolling his tractor, it rolled over him. Okay. So he broke ribs, but he had a bruise and he was saved by a farmer across the, across the way, just happened to see the, and hear the (laughs) tractor roll because they, they airlifted him out of his farm. Wow. He would have died otherwise, but, but the bruise was like, 12 inches it was like a 12 inch band all the way around his body huh yeah i once had a stripe across my back uh about the width of a car tire oh was it caused by a car tire as a matter of fact you know that's the best way to get a bruise that looks like uh a car car tire tire. rolling over your back yeah 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 i think i'm gonna avoid that that sounds like not the best way What with this being a cycling podcast, I'm not going to talk about my car running over me. No, uh, no, don't do that. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we should like get into a pool now. Sure. Sure. You sure. You want to lead this one out? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, on this week's episode of Robot Never Learns, our hero, which is me, uh, <laughs> heads off to southern New Hampshire for a hundred kilometer amble over idyllic dirt roads some long stretches on rail beds, some lovely riverside single track. Okay. Sounds like a nice story. But <laughs> I was waiting for that little three letter. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the first real hot day of the year and of course you you can't have one of those bucolic experiences in New England without going up an awful lot. Albeit with the the sort of predictable and um, grin spinning descents that come with it. But there's a lot of anywhere you go, you're going to be doing a fair amount of climbing. Yeah. And we talked in previous episodes how I was undercooked in the training category. I was lacking in the base miles. Yeah, I was al dente. And I had considered but rejected the idea of blood doping. And... I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty generally fit. So I knew that I would suffer going into this thing, but I, I guess I didn't, I didn't anticipate, you know, like I have a lot of cycling experience and I even have a fair amount of long distance cycling experience, but when you haven't done an event for a year and a half, maybe more, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you know, the lessons just aren't as immediate and like all that experience didn't really help me in the way that it really should have. Um, For the first 30 miles, I was doing pretty well. I was holding my own on the climbs, generally keeping up with my crew. But I had that that feeling. I know you know it from, you know, being alive. Um, (laughs) We're running a little hot here. You know, like I was with the group, but I was like, we're this is maybe a little spicier pace wise than I have. I felt that in the third mile of the rock cobbler. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this wasn't a race, so we didn't really need to hammer, but I think everyone was so excited to be at an event and we had the, the good or bad fortune of being sent off first, like our group left first uh-huh. So they're doing, you know, it's a socially distanced, staggered start. And so our group went first. And I think like psychologically, some of the guys were like, and we're going to finish first. <laughs> Did you guys actually have numbers pinned on? No, no, no. No, well, not on no the bike numbers. either. Not on the bike either. OK, yeah. I, I mean, not I timed. think that helps kind of keep things a little bit more in. You would think so. I would. <laughs> You Maybe I shouldn't. So. I, I don't know. I mean, I think everyone was excited to be riding bikes in a in an event in a beautiful place. There was a lot of excitement. 
you know, and when you're excited, maybe you and, you know, maybe that's just how much fitter those guys are than I am. Mm. Maybe that's the actual Delta. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had the sense that I was slightly in over my head. Um, but I took that slightly in over my head and I compounded it with some real boneheaded mistakes to really cement a day of suffering for myself. You seized the opportunity. I did. I did. I, um, the real mistake came at the rest stop. So How, wait, this, wait. <laughs> no mistakes are like when you look at your bottle and you think I am going too hard to try to drink right now. That's a mistake. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what I did at the rest stop and then you can tell me whether it was a mistake or not. Okay. So this particular ride or the, the group that organizes this ride is famous for its iced mocha lattes. They bring mason jars full of iced mocha. And if you're a coffee person, it's this treat. You know, you stop at the, the, the rest and someone hands you an iced mocha and it's just the most fantastic thing you've ever put into your mouth. Now, I'll say uh, just for my own rep that Iced mocha is not a thing I ever order anywhere ever. But if you've got 30 miles in on a hot day and you're a coffee person, someone offers you a nice mocha, you say yes. Mm, right? That, that's cans. Yeah. So we rocked up at the stop and I slammed a mocha before I'd even unsnapped my helmet buckle. Like that's where I was at. And okay. as a teetotaler, you know, I don't partake in any... Uh, uh, illicit substances at all. So for me, slamming a mocha after a couple hours of riding too fast is like doing lines of coke off the hood of a Camaro. <laughs> you know, it's just a no matter how cool it looks, it's just a bad idea. You, you, the the white snake was being cued even as you leaned over. That's right. Yeah, oh, that was a jack. But never mind. Yeah, yeah. So that's. So that's, that's, that's the, you know, even up to now, maybe I was still, um, inside the bounds of good sense, but wait, there's more, uh, in my mind, I was like, the best thing you can do for yourself riding with these guys is cram as many calories in your face as possible. I, I, I'm still not hearing any mistakes, right? I'm thinking the right thoughts. So I ate one of those new Scratch Lab rice cakes. Mm -hmm. Good, good choice. And then I tossed down a bag of potato chips. It was a hot day. I figured the salt was a winning move. I'm still still right on on track. Right. Mm -hmm. And then just when I should have washed all that down with some like watery electrolyte mix for my bottle. I opted for a mini Coke instead. And. You know how I feel about full gas Coke. Yeah. You know, it is a performance in enhancing. Um, substance. Substance. Yes. Performance enhancing substance. I mean, it's dope in a can. It is dope in a can. Right. But that's kind of when the problem started. So the guys were ready to roll out and they had done a better job of making sound nutritional choices than I had. Would you illustrate those for us? Um, well, there were no mini Cokes and few mochas. <laughs> so they were, they were drinking the things that you're supposed to drink and they were eating chocolate chip cookies and potato chips. I mean, they don't sound like they're doing that much better than you. Well, here's what happened. Okay. We leave the rest stop and the pace ramped up quickly again. Like they are you know, caffeinated and sugared and they've had a little rest and they're ready to rock. And that's you exactly, have you would think so. <laughs> that's exactly when I started getting stomach cramps. Oh, it seemed very much like I had a mini Coke floating on top of an iced mocha in my guts. So you had this sort of dairy base and like an acidic bubbly top. You had a seven layer dip stomach. I did. It felt like I had a hazardous waste site under intense sun <laughs> in my guts. 
Okay. All right. All right. And you're, you're making the case for the mistake. Yeah. So I think there's a core mistake in there, which begat probably two more mistakes. Oh, so now we're going biblical on this stuff. Yes. We begat something. Okay. Um, so what I should have said, I mean, I did say, I said, <laughs> I did say to the guys, Hey, do we really need to be hammering right now? Oh, oh, one does not say that unless one wants to suffer further. Well, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, we were a group of six. And I think for any couple of them that were like, oh, yeah, we don't really need to be hammering right now. There were two others that were like, I want to hammer right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, maybe I could have been more clear or I could have just let them drop me while I figured out uh, my uh, gastrointestinal distresses. Um, But instead, what I did was I sort of like dug down into my ego and found the quads to keep the pace. Okay, so your your ego went cramps. Huh? Never mind. Try harder. That's Uh right. Okay. Now, I'm going to reiterate, this was not a race. We weren't being timed. You can see the, 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 the mistakes piling up now. Well, I, I, what I see is an infinite opportunity for things to go in many different directions because you don't have numbers pinned on. If you had numbers pinned on, you'd have been so much clearer about what was going to happen next. Right. And you would have been a need, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we need to. I know you're hurting, but this is what we need to do. Not only that, but you'd have been in a position to expect what was going to happen, you know, and therefore it with that expectation set, you would have made clearly different choices. You would have gone, this is a race. I am not going to. But you were at a recreational Event. That's correct. I was re- I was recreating. I was recreating the the eruption of Vesuvius and the burning of the town of Pompeii. <laughs> Are you foreshadowing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think this is all sort of foreshadowing because, um, you know, as I said, this it was sun. It was like the first hot day of the year real first hot day of the year. And I had these stomach cramps. And so what I needed, I think, to be doing was drinking slowly and steadily. That's generally, yes. Yeah. Uh But again, we're going up and we're going down and we're going up and we're going down and we're in a full tuck on all the descents. Again, I can't really tell you why, but we were. And so there weren't a lot of opportunities to, to drink slowly and steadily. And also... I felt so bad the idea of putting that in my mouth, anything to swallow felt like the wrong thing to do. It was the right thing to do, but it felt like the wrong thing to do. You know what I mean? Well, the thing is, though, I mean, in theory, yes, that was the right thing to do. But you were getting a significant memo from your insides. That's right. And in not acting on that drinking Due to that memo, you you read the memo, you comprehended the memo, you followed the memo. When your body says, no, we're not going to drink anything else right now, that is the time to listen because that is your last chance. That's the final off, off ramp to forestall what I think is about to come. Well, it didn't. Oh, I thought that it was going to come. I really rode probably 15 hard miles on the verge of vomit, right? We're talking about vomit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no vomit in this story. Um, although I've now used the word vomit four times. Uh, no, I was sort of right at the edge. And in my head, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I was turning myself inside out. I was working pretty hard to not fall off the back of the group. And I thought, well, if I do this and vomit occurs, that is a solution of sorts. It's a conclusion. It's a conclusion, right? Yeah. And I, but I, so I just sat there in that purgatorial place, like 
not barfing, but also not feeling better. And I just thought, like, at some point, my stomach is going to work this math out and find the answer. You're going to fall off the ridge. Yeah. And it, one way or the other, right? Yeah. It's either going to feel better or feel worse. Either way is a, is a resolution of sorts. Mm-hmm. None of that happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How did you? So, <laughs> OK, please. Continue. So, so that precipitated that begat. You can't have one begat without another, right? No. So that begat like some low level dehydration and maybe, you know, heat exhaustion. Um, mm. So the, the cramp, what happened, there was an arc, like the cramps were very intense and then they sort of settled and I started to drink a little fluid again and then the cramps came back. And I, the last 10 miles were pretty much a trail of tears. Um, you know, my guys were riding, riding away from me on the climbs. My quads were spent and I have to, I will say this for myself, like as dumb as all those decisions and, and things, uh, were the experience I have of suffering on a bicycle informs me that as long as I continue to roll forward, there is an ending and crying about it and complaining about it and all of that stuff is, is counterproductive, Mm. you know, at Mm -hmm. some point, at some point when you make this sort of, uh, deal, you just have to take it. True. Yeah. So, I'm, it was, it was dumb. It was a very hard day on the bike for me, but I, I, is it, is it sick that I, I feel sort of proud that I, okay, I'm, those are the decisions I made and I took it. (laughs) I just took the consequences. I, I mean, there, that is a certain sort of macho pride. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it macho? I don't know. I don't, I didn't. I feel proud that I didn't get my misery on other people, which is, I think, a kind of a rookie mistake in suffering. Right. Sure. Like suddenly it's everyone else's fault. Yep. You're you're in a foul mood because you've bonked and fallen apart and whatever. And I didn't. I I know that in that situation, no matter how bad I feel, the only thing to do is joke and smile and just whatever you can do to keep moving forward. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I have no regrets. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think last week I, I, I referenced throwing myself in the blender and seeing what comes out, Mm. you know, based on my lack of base miles. Among your many, uh, very colorful visuals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And I, I came out the other side. It wasn't pretty, uh, but there it is. That's, that's riding a bike sometimes. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) It really, really is. Uh, and yeah. I, I'm with you on once you realize that you're in trouble, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a, a statement of kind of personal evolution and, you know, that, that growth of spirit when you realize, yeah, this isn't really going well and this is going to continue to not go well for a little while to come. And so you choose to make jokes about it. Right. I, uh, some years back I was in the Alps on a bike tour and it was a rough day. We had left Albertville, climbed up the Cormet de Roseland, which is, it hasn't been used in the tour de France all that much, but it's been used a few times and it's just Mm. spectacularly beautiful. But at the top of the Roseland, it was like 39 degrees mm. and it was raining. I mean, you're at mm. 2000 meters, you know, uh, or yeah. almost, you know, yeah. and there's the van with the side door open and people are making sandwiches. Yeah. And I'm like eating while hypothermic or descending right now in the rain while I'm still warm. I'm st- I'll see you at the bottom boys. And so I took off and uh, rolled into the town of Moutier. 
I, it, because it was wet and, you know, everything, I actually went all the way through my brake pads. Uh, I, I Fred Flintstoned myself to a stop at the edge of a roundabout. Right nice. foot on the uh, right foot on the marble curb or granite curb. Boop, 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 boop. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then realized, oh, but I've got barrel adjusters. So there's a bar right across the street and I get two chocolate show hot chocolates. Uh, and during the second one, everybody shows up by the time I finish the second one and I'm waiting for the, the uh, wait staff to come back around so I can order a sandwich. Everybody's packing up and leaving. Mm. They've all had sandwiches. Right. I've had two hot chocolates. They're a sandwich ahead of you. Yeah. And what, is, what do you think the distance equivalent of one sandwich is? Well, it's longer than one. It's it's uh, it's enough for the better part of one or category climb. Oh, we were to climb the Col de Liseran, uh yeah. up to what is it? Is it the town of Iseran? Uh We were to climb to where the ski resort is right. on right. that mountain. Okay. Yeah. So it's a 9,000 foot mountain. You know, we're climbing to like 6,000 feet or so. Right. And there were these two buddies of mine that, uh, I w- we were typically together and, uh, I'm going to say at about 5,000 feet of elevation, I realized that things were getting sideways and we're going to get sideways -er. (laughs) earth. And so I turned to them, you know, first I like tried to skip a few pulls and think, you know, I, it's like, well, my legs will come back around. I'm just going to skip a couple pulls and I'll recover. Right. And then I realized that that was complete and total BS. I, yeah. I knew the answer. I was trying to ignore the answer. And so then I said, uh, guys, my personal idiot light is on. Yeah. Uh, and so the moment we saw the very, very first uh, parking lot for the resort uh, with a little bar off in one corner that I couldn't even tell from the distance I was from it, whether or not it was open. Right. I peeled off and went in there. They'd, they'd already dropped me. (laughs) They were out of sight at that point. They were at least half a sandwich away. Yeah. And we had, we were, we were five miles from where we needed to be. And I knew I was literally not going to make it that distance. And I sat in a bar and ate two candy bars and a bag of chips because those were my choices. I ate everything that they had to eat, at least one of each variety of thing. Right. And the air. You know, the smoke machines at rock concerts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is not a performance enhancing substance. There were two guys busy building a website, writing code in raw HTML at the other end of the bar. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know. I'll never forget it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, making making jokes at one's own expense, I think, is the class move. It's an evolution from the temper tantrum. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, I have thrown the temper. I'm not pr- too proud. I've thrown the temper tantrum, um, but it's been a few years. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, I think on this one, I I struck the right balance between um, uh, ego-driven stupidity and um, diplomatic um, escape clause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I will say that it was one of those rides where if it had been another mile and there had been another foot of climbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that the story, I would be laughing about the story quite as much. <laughs> I really did it all. And the thing that, you know, the thing that, um, that hurts me about it is that a hundred kilometers, right? It's not short, but it's not long. Um, there were probably 4,500 feet of vertical, which is a lot, but it's not a lot, a lot. Well, you know, but like, how much was unpaved of that hundred kilometers? Um, uh, probably 60%. Okay. 
Dude, that is no joke. Uh, uh, you know, a gravel, a hundred k gravel ride that is at least fifty percent dirt. That is no joke. Uh, yeah, I, I think that sort of thing is undervalued. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about distance or even pace, like we were talking about pace, they had asked us nominally, what pace do you expect to ride? And they had given some, given it in miles per hour. And I looked at some of the options and I was like, those are road paces. (laughs) You're not going to ride a rail bed, like an unpaved rail bed (laughs) at 18 miles per hour, unless you've got a poor contract. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm, I'm past that. I'm past all of that. So yeah, the distance is greater than a road distance. The pace is slower. And what you find is that as much as your legs are fatigued, your whole body is done. Yeah. 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 Shoulders, neck, arms, hands, you know, there's a lot of rattle and this is new England. There's a lot of roots. There's a lot of everything. So yeah. 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 I mean, it was not a small thing, um, but it was also wasn't, could have been a lot more epic, but that's okay. <laughs> the rest of the year should be sheer magic. Now <laughs> got all the, I got all my mistakes and all my uh, relearning all my old lessons packed into one event. I'm so glad you're saying that because I look forward to the next event you do. <laughs> you believe as much as I do that it's going to be sheer magic. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because everywhere I go, there I am. <laughs> here's the thing, you know, and maybe this deserves a pull of its own, but you know, the real magic is when you are in that, that hole, uh, even if it's not dark, when you're in the hole, when you say that thing that people remember you for. For example, I don't need to drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, just... hey, you remember when you said, I think I'm fine? <laughs> <laughs> or when you said, no, my second bottle's still full, I think. <laughs> climb right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah we we're gonna have to do another episode where we tackle more of those because i know we haven't begun to tap the well i could go on all all day i could probably probably spend more time doing that than i could riding up hills in new hampshire Yeah, I, I do need, I, I need a little time to come up with, uh, like a, a greatest hits of my mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a long list. The greatest hits would be real hits. Oh, but another episode. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let's, uh, let's take a little break. We'll be right back. The pace line is brought to you by the cycling independent. We are the only online cycling publication. That's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll, Patrick. What do you got? Well, I got a listener question. Steve in Ohio. Steve. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Thanks, Steve. You know, questions. Hey, cool. Uh, So he said he wanted to make a trip uh, or he's planning to make a trip to California to do some mountain biking, which is a capital idea. Yeah. Um, 
He told me he was thinking about Santa Cruz and very probably Sonoma County, but he was wondering how hot the summers get here because we are a little bit inland, Mm. 20-ish miles or something. It's a good question because, uh, like, really, truly valid Because anytime you get inland of some mountains in California, you instantly have a drier climate that heats up more in the summer. Yeah. So Sonoma County tends to be cooler than all but the southernmost reaches of Napa County. Um, And we get we get hotter than Marin County usually gets. And bits of Marin County will stay pretty cool. Uh, Not as much as San Francisco. (laughs) Right. Uh, The good news is that we really only have a few weeks each August where it gets really hot. Mm -hmm. By really hot, I mean like a few years ago when our August heat wave hit, it reached 114 here one day. Yeah, that's not a real temperature. That's like (sighs) Mars. Yeah, or or Venus, something. Yeah, I... uh, But oh, you know, yeah, Venus is hotter. Yeah. So before anyone goes and cancels their plans to ride, you know, Annadel or Lake Sonoma, I, I need to clarify. So earlier that day, before it reached 114, it was in the 60s. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like just before sunrise. Um, and later that night, it was back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, per that, it was 114 for maybe a half hour, maybe, yeah. you know, yes, it had to pass a hundred degrees to get there, <laughs> right. but I don't think we had more than four hours above a hundred degrees. Can I, can I interject here mm-hmm. and just say, I don't actually understand the human urge to ride bikes or do strenuous things in the middle of the day. Like I'm a strictly morning or evening guy. Like I don't, I know people who, you know, kind of get their act together on a Saturday and they're like, do you want to go for a ride? How about 1130? Like mm-hmm. 1130. Mm-hmm. All my rides are done by 1130. 1130. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but how much, how much of when you ride is truly driven by climatic considerations versus familial cultural? Uh, I mean, I'm lucky in that. I think they overlap. I always want it to be cooler, right? Like even in the winter, if I go for a ride in winter and the high for the day is 25, I don't wait until 2 PM. So I can get, take advantage of 25 degrees. I'll mm. still go go in the morning. And then that's just doubly true in the summertime. Right. Yeah. Um that's not me. <laughs> are you yeah. a are you a midday rider? Uh well it it has kind of become that for let's call it professional reasons partly. Mm. But also well No, I'm lying. I'm so full of it right now. I I mean, if I wanted to ride at like 845 in the morning after I've gotten my boys off to school, there is absolutely not a thing in the world that would stop me. Right. Well, I understand what you're saying, I think, which is that like I have to get my kids out in the morning. My wife can do that. We can trade off so I can whatever. I'm more flexible. (laughs) But there's this very real thing about, you know, your morning responsibilities that aren't work related and then really feeling like you need to crack into work a little bit just to hold up your end of the deal. Yep. And then that's a very slippery slope. You mean like 1230? <laughs> I mean, not for me, but I understand for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my 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 slippery slope is uh, coated in park blue grease. Oh, yes. <laughs> we know how lubricious that is. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, so there's a certain sort of uh, puritanical guilt that gets me to the desk uh, as soon as I'm home from dropping the boys off. Hmm. 
there is that, um, you know, but there's also like truly the cultural thing of I no longer have group rides that meet at 630 in the morning. Right. Right. Uh, and I, I miss that to some degree, you know, if I could have two or three guys who, right. you know, but yeah, not a thing. And so suddenly it's like, it's two o'clock and it's like, well, if I'm going to get a ride in, I, I do need to go now. Uh, and so, you know, it may be 55 degrees, it may be 91 degrees, you know, but I'm, it just I'm going is what out. it is. Yeah. You're going out. Yeah. 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 That's not me. That's not me. If you don't get me out before 10, I'm likely to say, ah, oh, it's a rest day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the good news for me is I have things planned most days mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sleep is sleep, you know, sleep is a demanding mistress. Yeah. Yeah. More, she doesn't really take no for an answer. Yeah. More sleep is always very attractive. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and with the pandemic, that's been a thing, right? Like if you don't have the <laughs> 630 group ride to meet, then you're like, I don't have to get up at. Oh, dark 30. Oh, dark 30. I'll just do something later. I'm just not, I'm no good at do something later. I know that I am a disorganized mess. I know that, you know, there are many cyclists more together than me, but, um, one thing I do know is that if I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, I'm probably not doing it. Yeah. That scans. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you just how, how well, uh, illustrated that is. Moving right along. Uh, so my my point about like how it, it, yes, it gets very hot, but it doesn't stay up there. Yeah. So someone can come and visit California, you know, a little bit inland in August. But as long as you do kind of what you would naturally do, John, and roll by seven o'clock, you can roll for five hours and you won't get scorched in the kiln. Um, yeah. But if you ride in the afternoon when the temperature is 80 with 40 percent, if you want to ride in the afternoon when the temperature is 80 and you've got 40 percent humidity, come in June. Yeah. Yeah. This this reminds me of um, the family and I went to Zion uh, for the better part of a week a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a morning person. Uh, for whatever reason. And the first thing I want to do in the morning is coffee. So I get up and the way the sun hits the valley there, it's often like dark until a little later, you know, Mm -hmm. like their sunrise isn't just when you think it's going to be, but I would get up and I would go to the coffee shop and I'd be the only one there at, you know, six 30 or even seven o'clock in the morning. And I was like, what is going on here? And then we would want to be on whatever trail we were working that day. Eight o'clock to me would be late. Because, you know, it's going to get hot. Yeah. And then on my way out, like we would wrap up maybe just short of noon and people would be rolling into the park. And I'm like, it's it's 103 Mm -hmm. out here now. Like, what are you people doing? And they're not even they're not even uh, we're not talking about the fittest and fastest and uh, most resilient physical types. You know, like America is rolling up at 103 (laughs) degrees and saying, give me an adventure. (laughs) Just think. Yeah. Wow. Is it me? Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one that doesn't get it. Well, no, you you were actually processing things based on all the available data. And maybe the, you know, maybe it's that uh, cycling experience, like cycling turns you into a weather person. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You become a meteorologist. So maybe Uh it's just that I have, I was, I'm just much more attuned to the weather than Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the the unwashed masses. Well, I mean, you also have a plethora of cautionary tales that the not as washed masses lack. I have had heat stroke. I have had... All the things I've okay. done those. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never had heat stroke, and for that I am exceedingly grateful. <clears throat> yeah. It, so back to back to my lar- larger point, even than you know when to come. <sighs> There's a bigger consideration in here, and this is about to get really serious. Um, so for anyone who is thinking of visiting California this summer, uh, and I do mean the whole 
of California. Mm. On the 17th of this month, emergency services here in Sonoma County, I can't speak for the whole of the state, but I know here in Sonoma County, they issued a press release announcing that fire season had begun. Mm. Uh, I mean, that was what, 10 days ago? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We had here in Santa Rosa, two wildfires yesterday. Yeah. Two. Uh, Just down the road in the town of Sonoma, there was a wildfire that actually required evacuations. Yeah. People were removed from structures because the fire was not yet under control in May. Right. Uh, So the thing is, like, climatically, most of California right now is as dry as it normally is in July. That is, we are as far from our last significant rain as we normally are in July. And so the grasses and other vegetation is as dry as it should be only after the 4th of July. I want to make a a tender joke here, (laughs) (laughs) but this is a serious topic and I'll just hold it for another day. Yeah, yeah, there's there's really no way to swipe right right now. No, no, no. so, uh, you know, this isn't about this isn't about trying to inspire some pity uh, for us or, you know, anything else in that with our listeners. What I am saying, though, truly, is if you want to visit California this year, try, if at all possible, to do it in June. This is going to be a bad fire season this year. Probably. Mm, possibly. Let's be hopeful. Possibly the worst we've seen yet. And. I'm going to hazard to say that this will be true for the entire state. Mm. Uh, And, you know, could you get lucky and Sonoma County or Santa Cruz County not be on fire in August? (sighs) Yeah, totes. That's uh, that's totally possible. But our fall riding is going to be affected by smoke blowing in from other fires So even if, uh, you know, you don't think Sonoma County is burning and you should just go to Santa Cruz instead, well, the way the prevailing winds work, everything from the city down to Monterey gets the smoke coming out of the North Bay. Mm. That's just how those prevailing winds work. Mm. Um, But uh, California has exquisite mountain biking and we do kind of depend on tourism. Uh, so I'd say come soon so that you can get to ride some trails before they get destroyed by fire. Hmm. Boy, that that was encouraging. That does not seem like the visit California ads I see on television. (laughs) Usually, (laughs) usually have like Jennifer Aniston riding a dolphin or something. That, that certainly is going to sell a lot more than what I just had to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yours was more like a PSA. Yours was more like a the more you know with a little. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I it's it's been a little overwhelming to kind of watch what's happening here. Right. Uh, I didn't realize how dry we were until uh, I had some conversations in early May. And it's like, really, we're that f- so, yeah. uh, but man, right now, uh, it's gotten a little dusty, but yeah, the riding conditions are really, really fun right now. And, uh, yeah. we have lots of blue sky and mm. we, we, uh, unfortunately don't have a lot of humidity. So yeah. we're, we're dry here. We had a little, we had a brief spasm shower humidity yesterday, but it's, it's very dry here in the Boston area as well. We definitely are short on rain. Mm. So hopefully that doesn't turn into a drought, but, uh, increasingly this is going to be what summers look like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Ride or die, folks. Or ride and die. Ride and or die. I don't know. But get well, out there and get, get after it while the kids is good. The same. Yeah. 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 Okay. Paceline picks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to the picks. Um, so this is, this is a little convoluted story. Uh, when I first started at Seven Cycles, uh, which was summer 2011, there was a story 
that some people like to tell about the lead frame designer there, Neil Doshi. Mm. You know Neil. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there are few, if any, humans who design as many custom frames in a year as he does. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's for people out there listening. They're like, I've never heard of Neil Doshi. What could you possibly be talking about? So let me just give that some some context and perspective. Um, at seven, Rob Vandermark, who is the founder of that company, he's the he's the bike designer. So he and Tom Kellogg were the bike designers at Merlin. And then Rob founded seven to do all custom bikes. And he kind of brought custom frames out of the garage and into mainstream bike shops. Um, And so every bike that seven makes is a custom frame. So Rob is says, this is what this model is. These are the key functions of it. Then Neil talks with the individual customer to actually design the frame, the tube lengths and angles and all that stuff. So Neil is really designing frames all day, every day. Uh, And he's a heavy dude, knowledge-wise. His ability to go down the wormhole of details is not like anyone else's I know. I love that about him. Yes, my conversations with him have been uh, a a rabbit hole of pure entertainment. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who might say like, um, oh, you remember the shape of the dropouts Colnago made in the 80s? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't I don't remember that. Oh, that's no. right. He and I had a whole conversation about Chinelli lasers. Yeah, that that scans complete. Uh, those aren't details I can call to mind. And even if you can, there it's probably are, a good idea not to. Maybe there's there's like a million other little things that Neil keeps in the recesses of his, his recesses of his mind that I that I don't know anyone else who can call on and use them. Um, so the story went that someone new had started in the office at seven. Uh, this is before my time. And, and on day one, Neil turned to this this person and said, hey, what's your favorite tire lever? I like the Pedro's yellow ones. And this was not a joke or like a new guy prank. This was like a legitimate avenue of conversation at lunchtime on day one in the seven office. Did Neil ever Um, get called Commander Data? No, I did. Did you? (laughs) Yes. I mean, we have a lot of nicknames for Neil, but that's not one of them. and so, but since Neil probably has forgotten more than I ever knew about bikes, I just adopted the Pedro's lever as my, like, that's just, the, that's the lever. And I really like that, you know, he's, I trust him to be definitive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so I, I probably have like 30 Pedro's levers stashed in various saddlebags, tool drawers, parts bins. I give them to like, if, uh, if I help somebody buy their first road bike, uh, a friend, I'll give them uh-huh. like a park tool, multi-tool and a Pedro's lever. And I'll say, get yourself an inner tube and you're ready to go. That's your, that's your kit. Nice. Um, and you know, those things are $5 and 25 cents a pair, which makes them a tremendous value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and you know, to speak, to speak to like a, a, a piece of molded plastic what's i what i do think is remarkable and what i think neil sees is that the plastic is the perfect um firmness the perfect whatever to pry the bead the tire bead away from the rim but not puncture the rim it's like a little supple and a little it really is perfect mm-hmm. it's as much tire lever as you need mm. no more no less so <laughs> pedro's yellow tire lever and a shout out to neil Huh. I remember their very first tire levers, which were made from recycled milk jugs. Uh. And they were bendy. Mm. They were not exactly sure. effective. Sure. So obviously they've gotten much better and they probably got much better like 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, I think so. You know, I've spent the last 10 years using only that tire lever. And I know that our listeners are out there thinking, gosh, 
I barely, I've been in the market for a new tire lever. <laughs> I've got $5.25 burned in a hole in my chamois. <laughs> P.S. That's not where you should be keeping your money. <laughs> well, you know, there are those with the floating top sheet where, you know, you uh, moving right along. Uh, <laughs> so here's another blast from the past. Do you yeah. remember bar ends on mountain bikes? Oh, sure. I think I have a pair in my parts bin with the thought someday these will be back. But go on. <laughs> you and Jerry Garcia. Right. Uh, so I used to have a set of the Anza ski bends, the ones that curled in ever so slightly so you wouldn't catch them on trees. Uh, yeah. On my Merlin mountain bike uh, designed nice. by Rob Vandermark, uh, mm-hmm. you know, decades ago. This was back in the 1990s. You know, and I think that bar ends went away mostly because riders began spending a lot less time out of the saddle than they did prior to the invention of suspension. Yeah. Lately, I've been using some rather nubby bar ends of a different sort on my pivot. Um, they're made by SQ Labs and are called inner bar ends because huh. they are German. They have the same parent as Fender Maker SKS. That's okay. all one word. Okay. 12 inner letters, four yeah. syllables. Inner bar ends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah. And, you know, if they end up changing something on those, uh, I don't know why the carbon fiber model isn't carbon inner bar ends. All one word. Right. It ought to be. Uh, These are different than the bar ends of yore because as their name indicates, they are inner as in meant to be mounted inboard of the grips. The idea is that you... Uh, uh, Horns? <laughs> yeah, something like, yes, tusk. yes. Yeah, yeah. I, let's go with tusk. I like that. Okay. So the idea is that you can allow, uh, you, uh, they, they will allow you uh, to adopt a more aerodynamic position so that your elbows are no longer sticking out in the wind. They, mm. You know, it tucks your elbows in because the hand position changes. Um. I tried these for the first time last month at the Rock Cobbler because I chose to bring a mountain bike uh, because of all the steep climbs. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have since left them on the bike, in part because I'm lazy. Um, uh, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> uh, and also related to the lazy is I chose to make them more inner than SQ Labs actually suggests. So their idea which it would not surprise me might have been guided by mm, liability attorneys uh, mm. is to mount them between the grips and the brake levers, shifter and dropper post lever. Okay. But to do that, you know, the clamp is uh, maybe a centimeter and a half wide that yeah. moves all those sure. levers away from the grip, which for yeah. me is a total non-starter. I am very particular about how, uh, my levers are positioned and how far inboard and, you know, with my hands in this position on the grip, I want the lever right there. Right. So suddenly moving that for some extra thing. No, nah, no. Nah. With the P under this mattress, I'll never get a wink of sleep. Well, yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. No, I get I mean, you, though, that it seems I mean, it seems like a silly thing, but uh, uh, lever position is key to a comfortable ride. Yeah. Um, so I chose to mount them in board of the brake levers. I wanted a noticeably more aero position, not just ever so slightly more aero position. Mm. The bar ends are stubby. They're just a couple inches long. Uh, so maybe they are more horns than tusks. Uh, (laughs) 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 I've found that what I can do is I can rest part of my hand on the brake lever reservoirs. Um, and oh. while the position does reduce leverage some, uh, you know, so long as I'm riding on relatively smooth terrain and in lines that are straight to gently arcing, I don't have any trouble with handling. I certainly wouldn't ride with my hands there like on single track. Um, hmm. But, you know, on a on a gravel road climb, something like that, or, or certainly the flats. Oh, yeah, right. they're. And they're really lovely. And you can see pretty readily if you have a a GPS unit mounted on your bike, you can see pretty readily how much speed you'll pick up just by moving your hands that way. Yeah. 
And it's good on a long ride to have multiple hand positions, too. Mm, quite, quite. I am somebody who needs to be able to move around some. Right. They go for a reasonable forty four ninety nine, dollars um, but that's if you go for the plastic version. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, there is the uber lightweight version made from carbon fiber. Um, I reviewed them last week on TCI and will include a link to my review in the show notes for anyone who wants to learn more. All righty, dude. We've done another episode of the pace line. Yes. Do we, we give ourselves do a passing grade? Uh, I, let's call it incomplete. That's a, that's a popular modern thing. That's what my kids come back with. Yeah. Oh, it was incomplete. Hmm. Well, they can tell us in the comments if they feel so motivated. That's right. I like it. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, hey, now that we've got questions coming, uh, keep those questions coming. You all... You really do. When you send stuff, it's great. Uh, if you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Robot. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.